Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to today's episode of the RV. We are headed to California to speak to Laurel and Hill. Laurel has 40 years of experience in science-related fields, such as nuclear medicine technology. She's an author, and her most recent novel is entitled Plague of Flies. So, my dear Laurel, welcome to The Relatable Voice. Thank you so much for inviting me, Lucia. This is really a delight for me to be here. Yes, likewise, Laurel. I was looking forward to talking with you and also visiting California. Well, you've got to watch out for the traffic this time of day so that when you drive in, um, be sure that you watch all the other crazy drivers around you because they'll run you off the road. Oh, thank you, Laurel. I'm going to drive very carefully. I promise. So, Laurel, you are a former underground storage tank operator. What exactly yeah. does that entail? <laughs> well, you operate underground storage tanks, right? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, everyone asks this question. And, you know, every time you go to a gas station, in, at least in California, the uh, gas tanks aren't above ground because that material is flammable and it's much safer to store it underground. Now, I worked in environmental health and safety for a uh, pharmaceutical research and development site for 21 years. And when the laws got changed about operation of our underground storage tanks, uh, we had to do different procedures. We had to, to do new documentation. And my boss came to me and said I was elected and I wouldn't get any extra title or money because of it. <laughs> that was going to be one of my many jobs. So I thought, doesn't that sound neater? Because we had a lot of diesel fuel for our backup generators. So if the power went out, which it often did, uh, we wouldn't lose our cell banks and uh, other you know, important um, biologics and uh, uh, temperature sensitive chemicals. No, I just think it sounds better than scientists because uh, anybody can be a scientist, but not everybody can be a licensed California underground storage tank operator. Exactly. And not many people know about this kind of work. I had a lot of fun in environmental health and safety. And like uh, you could see from my uh, resume, I have worked at a number of different jobs in my life. As one fell apart on me because a, a laboratory closed or something else happened or I had to move, there had to be another job. So mm -hmm. I would go and interview for whatever I thought that it, it might be possible for me to do. Mm -hmm. And Laurel, your, your undergraduate 
and master's degrees were in biological science. That's correct? Yes, that's correct. Oh, I, I just wanted to say, because uh, the biological science in, as undergraduate was microbiology uh, concentrated, uh, I learned a lot of chemistry and biochemistry. And of, of course, you had to do the physics as well. And how did you first get into writing? Well, I started making up stories before I could read. And my sister would write them down. And then she would always leave room in the tablet so that I could cut pictures out of comic books and magazines and uh, have my own story published, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I actually had my first short story published when I was 11 years old in a major San Francisco newspaper in the children's section. And it was horrible. It was terrible. But I thought it was fantastic. And wow, I'm a published author. And it was only years later I found the article and I or the story and I went and reread it and I was so embarrassed. <laughs> and I just laugh now. If I get too full of myself, I go read Nancy Saves the Day. <laughs> Wow, you started very early. And you also published a few books now. Yes, I have three novels. And then I've been the editor-in-chief, the editor-in-chief of three um, anthologies, collections of stories and poems from the California Writers Club, San Francisco Peninsula Branch. I've also written over and had published over 30 short stories. I stopped counting after 30. And um, I have published a number of uh, short pieces that are nonfiction, including one scientific paper. I've done a fair amount, <laughs> not as many as some, but I'm, I'm not disappointed with myself. Your most recent one is called Plague of Flies. That's correct. And the subtitle is Revolt of the Spirits, 1846, because I set my story in California when it belonged to Mexico, and it was called Alta California, and in 1846. So I just wanted to tack that on so nobody thought it was about um, Moses's exit from Egypt. Yes, I was going to say that your title is so intriguing. Can you tell us, Laura, quickly what this book is about? Okay, the easiest way to tell what the book is about is just for me to read one paragraph of the description on the back cover. I spent weeks writing this. I couldn't reproduce it to speak it. So I'll just read the first yeah. paragraph. In 1846, Alta, California, Catalina Delgado daydreams about her future, roping cattle, marrying Angelo Ortega, and raising children. But now, invaders from the United States, the Bear Flaggers, have declared war against Mexico, her country. Bear Flaggers have imprisoned one close friend of her family and murdered others. What fate might befall her parents, grandfather, and younger brothers? 
And what about her best friend, a Costanoan servant girl? How can Catalina, only 16, help protect all those she loves? So it is a romance, but it has also suspense. Yeah, it, it's a love story. I wouldn't call it a romance because a, a, a romance is structured a little bit differently in the way it does the story arc and everything. Um, I think of it as historical fantasy and magical realism combined. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a love story. Plague of Flies, Revolt of the Spirits, 1846 is a love story. It's not a romance in the sense of the way romance writers generally structure their story arcs. But it does tell of two young people deeply in love. And among this backdrop of all the adventure and the suspense and the, the concern for her family. And it's really, um, it's an adventure, mm. definitely an adventure of, of a teen. All the problems that go with being a teenage girl in any time, but particularly in 1846. Absolutely. In those times, things were way more difficult than now. And Laurel, uh, what inspired you to create this story? Well, it just, it just started um, rolling into my head when I, um, I was getting older. Well, I'm even older than that now. I really didn't know that much about my family. My father was half Mexican, but he had estranged himself from his family at a young age. He wanted to go off and go to sea as a merchant in the merchant marine, and they pulled him off the boat and he never forgave him for it. So I started to find out little bits and snippets about my great-grandmother, Hapalata Orandine de Medina. The problem was is that there really wasn't any information that I could that I could find. And then all of a sudden I found a poem of hers that appeared in a book. And it just changed everything. I I went and did investigation. I uh, found her pictures and her scrapbook and a, a a small journal in the California Historical Society in San Francisco. And through this whole progression from not knowing to knowing, at first I thought, because there was a family rumor that she or her mother had lost the family fortune, so to speak, when they came to California. And I thought, oh, well, they had probably come up to Alta, California, and maybe they had a rancho. And then with the Bear Flag Rebellion, they had their property confiscated because that's what happened. But they did not even come to California until it had become a state in the United States. And that was either in the late 1850s or the early 1860s that they came up from Mexico. And so they lost their property by some other means. And so all through this progression, 
I was, you know, inspired and I was going to write the story. And in the meanwhile, Catalina Delgado, the character, had gotten into my head when I still thought that they were, it was probably uh, set in the Bear Flag Rebellion time that, you know, that they lost the property. Well, you tell a character that you're not gonna do their story when you already promised you were gonna do their story and you will never get another good night's sleep until you do that story. So I said, okay, I will do Catalina's story. And my book after that will be about, uh, you know, will be a fantasy about uh, a, a widow and uh, her two young daughters coming to California. And I've already started on that one. But that's kind of how Plague of Flies came about. And Catalina just, we didn't always agree with things. I had to redirect her along certain lines and then she redirected me. But I think we did a darn good job together. Yes, and I also believe you had to research a lot. How long did it take you to write this book? Okay, this is the interesting part. I spent 13 years trying to write the first draft of the first half of the book and I couldn't get it right and I couldn't get it right. And I was really, and so I put it aside and I went and finished a different book. Then my, my dear husband that I had known for 49 years and we'd been married for 42 of those years, passed away. And I was so emotionally distraught. I was so torn apart by this that I saw life and emotion in a totally different way than I'd ever had before. And at that time, I could reconnect with Catalina And I could understand her turmoil, her emotional stresses that she was going through in the story. And it took me three months to finish the second half of the first draft when it had taken me 13 years to try and write the first half. And then after that, the, the editing, I mean, the rewrites, the editing and everything went fairly smoothly. Um, I felt her. I felt her in a way I just couldn't until I lost the thing that mattered most to me ever in my life. Yes, I'm sure it was not easy, Laurel. But you are so strong that you could finish writing this book. And David and I had worked on this project together. I mean, he was my he was my fan and just this fantastic proofreader. He was really good at finding things. And so um, he and I had gone on trips together, done research into the ranchos in California. And we had just participated in my writing career together. You have to realize my first job out of my internship for being a medical technologist, I went to work for David <laughs> in his laboratory. <laughs> and that's how we met. And it was only, uh, oh, I think it was 
about seven years later, we got married. But uh, I married a widower uh, with uh, three children. And then we had another child, a daughter. So, um, yeah, we just had a fantastic life. And I still miss him. I, the love just burns in my heart for him. Yes, and these memories will stay forever. And Laura, you mentioned personal experience inspires you, even some terrifying moments. Can you share with us how bodies of water tie into your writing? There are three things in life for me that were not a good combination. Water, deep water, any water, <laughs> heights, and teenage, what I refer to as steep teenage stupidity, <laughs> which persists till you're 30 years old, really. The teens don't end when you, you hit 20. Uh, yes. Adolescence goes on till 30 years old. And uh, there were probably at least seven times in my life that um, I nearly was killed because of water and at least another seven because of heights. And I, I relate some of this um, in blogs from time to time when I'm interviewed. I think one of the most powerful things that I used in Plague of Flies was my experience in the late, it was either the late um, 1960s or early 1970s, I used to run the rapids on the Stanislaus River before the New Maloney's Dam was put in and that section of white water was turned into a lake. And uh, I didn't do it in one of the big rafts. So there were big rafts that um, went down that river, but we did it on surf mats, which were inflated and were canvas covered so they wouldn't be torn up by the rocks. And uh, I had on a wetsuit because the water temperature, I mean, it was snow melt, so it was cold water. And um, I had flippers on, of course, and an inflated life vest. And there was one point where I had um, an argument with a Huge boulder, I think, is the best way to explain it. I ran, we ran the, when it was too early in the season and the river was too high. So the river, when it's high, you also get um, more whirlpools. And I got stuck between a whirlpool and a boulder, pushed and literally stranded against boulder. And I had to, and I was hanging on to this five foot inflated, uh, you know, raft. And I had an inflated life vest and I was kicking with those fins as hard as I could. And it was only every once in a while I was able to get my head above water to take another breath. And I thought, you know, <laughs> but the first thought is our father who art in heaven, you know. <laughs> And then I didn't panic. For some reason, I didn't panic. I just said, okay, there's a way to do this. And I just edged my way around that boulder, getting air what I could, and I was out of there. 
but it was a frightening experience. It was worse than any of the times I've had um, problems getting through a surf line with, you know, scuba gear on or any of the uh, other things that have happened to me in my life that um, have been frightening. But that was, that was my biggest water experience. And uh, if you want to know about heights, can do that one too. But that one is most applicable to Plague of Flies because Catalina has a, a scene where she does not do what the spirits of the river want her to do. And until she, uh, she does it, it's going to drown her if she doesn't. That must have been a horrible experience. And I'm so glad you made it through. <laughs> well, at least my mother wasn't watching. And Laurel, are you currently working on anything you would like to share with our listeners? Yes, yes. I don't have even a working title for it yet. But as I told you, my uh, great-grandmother, Hippolyta, came up to California as a widow with two young daughters. No, it was, excuse me, it was my great-great-grandmother. Oh, I get mixed up on these things. I've got greats and great-greats and whatever. Okay. And, um, and one of those two young people was my great-grandmother, Hippolyta. It was great-great-grandmother, Francesca, who came up. So anyway, she, in my novel, is going to be leaving Mexico for a completely different reason than Francesca Tejada did. And um, she is going to be leaving Mexico because her husband has just been murdered and they really wanted to annihilate the whole family and they didn't get him, they didn't get her, they didn't get the daughters and she is running away. So that's, uh, that's where my book is going to start out and the adventures that she has after that and, and related to what happened to her husband. And then my, my other point of view character, my first point of view character is going to be one of the young daughters. My second point of view character is going to be the spirit of her deceased father, who after he dies, he does not know who he is. So, because you leave your brain behind you. Ah, I love and we don't know what happens when people die because we're alive, you know? So I can use my imagination and... Um, he has to learn who he is. And would you say that this book will be a sequel of number one of the first no, book? No, it, no, it's not a sequel. Um, I have three novels and they're all standalone. Very good. It sounds so interesting. Laura, is there a message you would like to leave for our listeners? Well, the first message I have is that really the key to um, power as a woman or as a person does not have to be through influence or money or what the color of your skin is or what language you speak, what country you come from, 
what's your culture. It comes from inside of yourself and your ability to care for and respect other people, all other people. And that respect includes respect and love for yourself. Because if you don't respect and love yourself, you're gonna have a hard time relating to other people. And I think that's really, really my message is that is the key to power. And my family was poor. We grew up with three generations living in a two bedroom flat in San Francisco. It was hard. I didn't know that it was, I didn't realize how hard it was when I was a child because, you know, people around me didn't seem to have much more than I did. But it was, um, it was hard. Yeah. Looking back on it. Yeah. I just didn't realize it. Yeah. When we are kids, we sometimes don't see the difference that are around us. When I was uh, started what is now called middle school, and it was then called junior high school, I had one outfit to wear to school. And it was a plaid skirt. And I can't remember the color of the blouse, if it was yellow or what it, what it was. But I wore that every day. And I got teased about it. And I couldn't figure out what was the joke. And then I realized they were laughing at me because that's all the clothes I had that were suitable for going to school. Laurel, your words were so beautiful. And I would like to know how can we find you online, find your book and your next book? My website is laurelannhill.com. L-A-U-R-E-L-A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L.com. My book, uh, Plague of Flies, Revolt of the Spirits, 1846, is on Amazon. You can also go to the Barnes & Noble website, and it is there. It can be ordered through any uh, bookstore, brick-and-mortar bookstore, that um, can buy through Ingram. Okay. And if you want a signed copy, you have to contact Borderlands Books in San Francisco and tell them that you want a signed copy. And I'll go over there and sign it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And this is my book, the cover. And uh, every, every girl's dream is to ride a powerful horse, right? And so that's Catalina on her Andalusian spirit stallion. Carolina. Flying through the night. I always want to have a horse or maybe a pony. But, you know, there are some things that we think we will never have. But I'll tell you, Laurel, I still want to have a small pony. <laughs> well, you know, when I was young... I ended up on a runaway horse in Mexico and uh, <laughs> I had to include uh, that type of scene in my book, of course, there had to be um, 
that story, but that that's where I got that one from. I really was on a runaway horse that I could not control. And I was hanging on for dear life. <laughs> it was a pleasure to speak with you. Come back when you publish your next book. I'll be very oh, happy to talk to I you. I will do yeah. that. And, I, and I've got to do it in less time than I've done my other books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Or else I'm going to be dead, you know. <laughs> the zombie writing her next novel. So thank you very, very much. You're welcome. And really thank you for inviting me. This has been delightful. And I can see that we have, we are sisters at heart. <laughs> yes, we do. We are. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.